All right. So go ahead and start turning to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Uh, we'll get there in just a few minutes. Um, so we've been mentioning over the last couple of weeks um, that we as elders have been kind of looking at, studying, talking about communion. You'll notice that we haven't been having communion for the last few weeks and that we're still not set up to have communion. We're going to be talking about that next Sunday, and this sermon's going to kind of get us there. This is kind of the springboard off of where Caleb was to start talking about communion next week. And so we're going to have a deeper discussion about communion and what we believe as the church about communion and all of this uh, in a week. And we're going to take communion next week. Um, so, so hang on. Be patient with us for that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, next week. And this sermon is just going to kind of serve to get us there because uh, I honestly, a few weeks ago, didn't know what I was going to preach in this week's kind of slot. Like, I knew that I wanted to talk about communion next week, but I wasn't exactly sure. But, but the more that we've been studying communion, um, and I think it's so, it's so important that Caleb established what um, the role of elders are and talked about the importance of us actually like diving into the Word and studying and, and knowing what it is that God has called us to do and how it is that we're supposed to uh, behave and the things that we're supposed to do as the church because, because studying communion is a perfect example of what one of those roles is. It's to, to take this thing that, that we've been commanded to do and administer it in the right way and protect it in the way that we should and teach it in the way that, that we're, we're supposed to, that we're called to, that Jesus intended for us. And so as we've been studying communion, uh, I came across, we came across this other passage just kind of closely connected, but not really, but happens around the same time. Uh, and it's this, this, this time when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and I found myself wanting to study this saying, and everybody's all of a sudden getting really nervous. Oh man, do I need to start taking my shoes off? I, ho I, hope, you, I hope you've washed your feet recently, or at least your socks. But anyways, uh, no, we're not washing your feet today. Don't freak out. Uh, but it did lead us to study this, and because I, I was wanting to make sure, you know, is, is foot washing a thing? Because Jesus kind of modeled it. And we're going to talk a little bit about what, what makes something a thing that we're supposed to practice as the church. We're going to look a little bit into that. Um, but it was just really important that we study it because if that's something that we are supposed to be practicing as the church, we want to be practicing and administering that rightly as well. But it turns out that, that foot washing is kind of the perfect connecting theme for us to talk about, the jump off of where Caleb was last week, talking about deacons and serving the church and this sort of thing, and leading toward communion, which is this thing that we practice together as the church. And we'll talk a lot more specifically about communion next week, but just know that, that this sermon is kind of just the, um, what was left over for me of this study, because it's like, if we're looking at this, are we supposed to be doing all these other things? What's cultural? What's not something that we're supposed to be practicing? Because that was just an example of something. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, but I think it's important that we kind of start, and I'm, I really am just kind of starting where Caleb left off last week, because Caleb read from Mark chapter 10 last week. It's going to be up here on the screen. I'm going to read verses 42 through 45. It says, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's the, that's the idea. That's the key theme that I want us to jump off from last week. This idea, because we were talking about how, how deacons kind of act as lead servants in the church. They serve in such a way. And, and elders, too, to a degree, are serving the people that God has kind of given to them. And all of these things are supposed to be modeled based after the examples that Christ has given us while He was here. And so that last verse that we just read, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's the idea that I think uh, I really want us to focus on this week because I think it's so important that we understand that, that, that just like we've been saying over the last couple of weeks, all of these qualities that must be true of elders and deacons, the, the, the being above reproach and the, the not being a slanderer and the saying the things that you mean to say and doing the things you say you'll do, all of these sorts of things are so important, not just for elders and deacons. It's not, these are the good things the elders and deacons are supposed to do. Those are, those are qualities that we would like to see in, in every believer, in every member of the church, in all of us. We want all of those things to be true of us in the way that we live and the things that we say and all of that. So, so it's not that those last two weeks were just for the people who are going to be called to a specific role. Those are the kind of things that we're all called to do. Just different people have different levels of responsibility and different people, like elders, have to give an account to God for how well they do those things when they see him in the future. So, so here's the thing. Jesus' life and ministry was all one of service. Just like he just said. He didn't come to have everybody, you know, throw all these riches at him and get all these accolades. Those are things that he deserved, but that wasn't his purpose for being here. And ultimately, that was part of the reason why he ended up dying in the first place because he wasn't the kind of king that the people were looking for. When we studied Matthew for like 17 years a couple of years ago, it really felt like 17 years. It was a long book, but it was good. We kept talking about how everybody was missing the point of who Jesus was. They were looking for the wrong version of the Messiah. They were looking for this, this grandiose entrance with all of these riches and all this power and overthrowing all of this tyranny. And that simply wasn't the Messiah that they needed. Jesus was coming, just like he said, not to be served, not to have all of these amazing things thrown at him and then rule over them and lord it over everybody, but, but to serve them in, in a sacrificial way as somebody can serve another person. And so he's been modeling this teaching for his disciples all this time as he's been kind of pouring his life into them so that he can leave them behind once he's gone so that they can kind of build up and raise and start the church and grow the church. He's kind of trying to teach them and show them the things that they need to know, the ways that they need to be prepared to serve people when he leaves, when he leaves the church to them. And so this teaching of, of, I came not to be served, but to serve, is a constant theme in his teaching. And it led them all the way up to the Last Supper where he's sitting there with them and he's kind of imparting all these last minute nuggets of wisdom and knowledge and instruction for them. And part of that comes in John chapter 13, which I hope you've already turned to. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read this whole section here and then we'll kind of break it down and look at it. It's John chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you shall understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, Not all of you are clean. Then, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Stop right there. So you get this, you, you get this situation, and, and if you're not familiar with foot washing, most of us probably are not, because we have closed-toed shoes um, and running water in our houses so we can shower inside and we don't have to go wash ourselves off somewhere outside and then walk in open-toed shoes through the dust after that into the house for supper, right? That's not what we're used to, but that was, that was kind of the norm of the day. And so you'd, you'd go clean yourself off, and then as you were walking in, your feet would get dirty again. And so it would be somebody's responsibility in the house to wash the dirt off your feet before dinner. And, and this was usually somebody who was not very important. I mean, I don't know how you feel with feet, but probably most people are like, I don't want to touch other people's feet, right? That's a task that was usually given to the lowest of the low. Whoever was there, whoever was the least important would wash those, the feet of those who were more important than them. And so, so when Jesus stands up and takes off, takes off his outer garments and he kind of ties a towel around his waist and he gets down to start washing people's feet, this would be shocking, like, like offensively shocking to people who are seeing the one who they're saying, you are the most important person here. You are the greatest among us. And you're stepping down into this kind of a role. You are humbling yourself in this way. You are, you are belittling yourself in, in a way that, that we would have never expected and no one would understand why you are doing this. And he even said so. He said, I'm going to do this thing and you're not going to understand it yet. But afterwards, I'll explain it and then you'll understand what the whole purpose was. So, so I don't know what the modern day equivalent of foot washing would be for us, but maybe it would be the most important person in the house is the one who scrubs the toilet. I don't know. What's the one task in your house or, or in your life that you're like, I just, I just don't want to do that. That's for somebody else to have to do. Maybe it's, maybe it's, you have, maybe it's your, your septic system has become clogged and you're the one who has to go free whatever is clogging the system from the line. 
Has everybody got that picture in their mind? I'm seeing enough faces that let me know that you've got that picture in your mind. Right, right. It's, it's, it's the, the most disgusting, demeaning task that, that nobody who can afford to have somebody else do it would want to voluntarily do on their own. Right? This is, this is kind of why Peter reacts in such a way. And again, I love Peter. Peter reminds me a lot of me. Peter says what he's thinking, and he's usually wrong the first time he says it. Right? So, so this is Peter, who's like, whoa, maybe this is a test. Maybe I got to tell Jesus, oh no, I know who you are. I shouldn't let you. This is him. Show- maybe, it's, maybe it's Peter showing off. Maybe that's what he's thinking. Oh, I shouldn't let Jesus wash my feet. He's seeing which one of us is going to stop him first. Maybe that's what it is. So he says, no, you can't wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. You are in charge. You are more important. I should be washing your feet, right? This is, this is Peter thinking, I've got it figured out. I've cracked the puzzle. I'm going to tell these people what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to protect Jesus from the humiliation of having to wash my feet. And then Jesus says, no, Peter, I have to wash your feet. If I don't wash your feet, then, you don't, then you're not a part of me. You don't, you don't, you don't get it. You're not, you're not in this with me, which would be shocking to Peter. And then also like me, Peter would then go above and beyond and say, oh, well, then you should just give me a whole shower. Right? Like, like listen, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my hands again. And, and, and what Jesus says to him is, no, no, Peter, you don't need all of that. You don't need to be, you don't need to have your head washed again or your hands washed again. You've already done that. You took care of that. You're already made clean. What you need is me to wash your feet and understand this lesson that I'm trying to teach you. This, this example that I'm trying to model for you. And as he's finished, he's telling them, you know, we want you, I want you to do like I have just done for you. And that's where, when I read that line, that phrase, do also as I have done, that's, that's where I got hung up when I was studying communion, when I was studying these sorts of things. Wait a second. Is foot washing a thing that we're supposed to be doing. Jesus just said, go and do it like I have washed your feet. Go do the same for one another. Go do this. And it made me stop and ask, is this a thing that we as the church today are supposed to be practicing? And so, so I think it's worth, it's worth knowing, what is it that makes something a practice that we as the church are supposed to continue on today? So, Pardon my, my church nerdness, but we're going to go on just a short, like, two-minute church history romp. So, so throughout the history of the church, um, there have been these different rites that the church has practiced at different times, different types of practices. And, and throughout the history of the church, they've been called sacraments. Uh, if you grew up Baptist, you probably called them ordinances because you were too scared of sounding too much like the Catholic church. That's just truth. We came up with another word so that we didn't feel so uncomfortable using the word that they used. But, but depending on your church background, your church history, you might have practiced these in different ways, and you might have practiced different numbers of them. The Catholic Church has seven sacraments. We don't have that many. We, we, we have traditionally practiced two, baptism and communion. And, and the way that we figured out, the way that the, the, the church has decided to, I guess, enact one and not another... Uh, there's been different criteria that the church has looked at throughout history. Uh, one, it was modeled and practiced by Jesus. Baptism, practiced by Jesus. Communion, practiced by Jesus. Foot washing, practiced by Jesus. So all three of those make the cut so far. Uh, two, he, he commanded us to do that. 
We were commanded to, to be baptized. We were commanded to take communion. We're going to talk more about that next week, so I'm not going to get too far into it. And we were commanded right here. He said, he said, go and do likewise. Do this for one another. And then the third criteria, it was modeled by the early church. And that's where we kind of get into the hang-up on foot washing. That's where we get into the hang-up on foot washing. Because, because if, if you look at the first two, we see baptism and communion practiced by the early church throughout the rest of the New Testament. Here's an example. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is right after Peter has given his big um, rousing talk on the day of Pentecost. And all these people are, are, are hearing the gospel for the first time. They're like, oh my goodness, what do I need to do to be saved? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he says, he says right then, repent and be baptized. He doesn't say repent and be baptized and take off your shoes. i got to wash your feet. Right? And nowhere else in the New Testament, outside of this example with Jesus, do we see the church practicing foot washing. And so traditionally, now granted, there are some churches who have practiced, who have done foot washing services as, as, a, as a reminder, as an example of what, what it looks like to, to serve in the way that Jesus did, as a reminder of what it was that he did. But as I was studying this, and I studied this for a little while because I was like wanting to make sure we we're doing this right, because if we're supposed to be washing each other's feet, let's go, Right? But everything that I see seems to say that foot washing specifically, because he said this example that I have given you, right? Where is that? Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. He, he's saying this is, this is a type of behavior that I want you to model, not necessarily a specific practice that you need to do in such a way to be a part of the church. So I'm not saying it's wrong to wash each other's feet. If you want to practice it sometime, go for it. If you're married, maybe start with your spouse so it's less weird. I was about to make a hobbit foot joke, but I'm not going to. So what is it that we're actually supposed to get out of this section? If, we're not if, if it's not this prescription that we're absolutely supposed to start washing each other's feet and that we all need to start walking in here on church, church days and I'm going to be getting a big basin out here and pouring water into it and tying a towel around my waist. If that's not what I'm supposed to be practicing, if that's not what it is, then what's the point that Jesus is giving us here? What are we supposed to do with foot washing? Why did Jesus command us, do the same thing that I have done? What is it that he's trying to say? Well, if you're still in John chapter 13... Go a little further down in the chapter to verse 31. And I think he begins to explain the idea of what he's trying to teach his disciples and the church as well. Chapter 13, verse 31 says, When he'd gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Here's the important part. And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. That same kind of language, just as I have done, just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love for one another. So what's the point that Jesus is trying to get at with the disciples while he's washing their feet and he's modeling this sort of behavior and he's telling them to love one another in such an amazing way? Is that we're called to follow Jesus' example in how to love. And that is our, one of our primary means as the church of showing people who we really are. That's how the church is going to recognize that you're saved or not, by how well you love people. That's the way the world is going to recognize that there's something different about the church by how well you love people. So what does it look like to love people the way that Jesus loved? Well, I just told you this this act that he just performed, this task, washing the disciples' feet was one of the most humiliating tasks that could be assigned to a person, right? Remember your septic system clog that you had to get rid of? cleaning off the toilet, whatever it may be, right? That, that task that you're like, I would rather pay someone else to do that than have to do that myself, right? That, that kind of example that he's setting is an example of everything about his entire existence on earth. And I get that in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2, you can. This is one of my favorite sections in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2. I didn't have it marked, so you have time. Philippians chapter 2. This is verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Here we go. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." The fact that Jesus was here was the greatest example of humility that we have ever seen. He was God. He was in heaven, hanging out with the Father, being glorified in all of creation as he should be. And he became like us. Like like you think it's a step down to have to go clean out the septic system or to wash somebody's feet. Think about the step down from being Spirit God and coming down and living with us. Jesus didn't have dust on his feet when he was in heaven. Jesus didn't have to find clothing to wear and Jesus didn't have to eat. 
He had everything. He needed nothing. And yet he stepped down to become like us. Not just becoming like us, but even becoming humiliated as one of us. He humbled himself so far that he humbled himself to the point of dying a death that he did not deserve in our place. Jesus' love was the most sacrificial and just like foot washing, humbling example of love that we have ever had. And it's this idea of humility, being humbled for the sake of loving somebody else that I want to land on today. Because service and love can put you in some pretty humiliating situations. They can put you in some pretty, performing some pretty menial tasks. They can put you in a place where, where people are questioning, why would you even bother doing that? That's not a job for somebody like you. You shouldn't be doing that. So, I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks that I have a new life verse. So now you get to see the pooper scooper. Pooper scooper has a verse already on it because we took a bunch of these and tried to give them out to people at the BCM a couple of weeks ago. And they were terrified of our pooper scoopers. We even had Tootsie Rolls and Hershey Kisses to go with the pooper scoopers and they still weren't that excited. I thought you could sell any college student on free candy, but a free pooper scooper, everybody ought to want even if you don't have a cat. So, so here's my new life verse. Proverbs 14.4. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to talk about it. Proverbs 14.4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Leave that up there for a sec. Just look at it. Think about what that's saying. Think about what that verse is saying. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. What was Solomon trying to say in that verse? He's trying to say that when things are getting done, when there's work being accomplished, it can get messy. I know exactly what that looks like. For some reason, my parents felt called by God to own llamas. For like seven, eight years, we had llamas. Guess whose chore it was to clean out the barn? That's me. Guess what happens if you ignore cleaning out the barn for too long? The ceiling gets a whole lot closer. And then you got to dig way down. Huh? Yeah, and it's, it's awesome. That perfect mix of llama poop and hay and sweet feed. So it's like this kind of molassesy. sorry, too much? Did I go too far? Okay, I'm getting yeses that I went too far. That was the line. So here's the thing. When you have animals, you got to clean up after the animals. When you're going to try to accomplish something, if you're going to try to farm, if you're going to try to raise a lot of crops, you got to have the farm animals to help you accomplish that task. And if you're going to have that accomplishment, if you're, going to, if you're going to accomplish all of that work, it's going to get messy. There's going to be a mess that you have to deal with. You might have to clean up the poop after the animals. That's a pretty menial task, right? 
But sometimes when we are going to try to accomplish something for the sake of the, the mission of God, the call of God, the call of the church, if we're going to try to accomplish something amazing, it's going to get messy and we might get called to do some pretty humbling tasks. It's not always going to be super pleasant, super fun. There's going to be hard things that we come across, whether it's difficult relationships we have to work in, difficult situations, whether we have to go to, to some place that we would have never expected in an area of town that maybe we would have never thought we would be called to go. We go there. Maybe it's we, we come and we set up a church in a building that has no running water, no power, no electrical wiring, and then we have to figure out how to get all that working before winter comes. Real life, guys. That was real life for us for a little while. It was use the bathroom before you come. Right? That was our existence. You think you want to be a church planter. Sometimes when you plant a church and you're a small church, this is, a, this is, and you have new plumbing in an old building and your plumbing system gets clogged up. You thought that septic idea was, was like foreign and you don't have deacons yet. Your elders come in, they rent, they rent a snake, and we run the snake all the way down the sewage line as far as we can and clean that out ourselves. And you know what happens when you pull those snakes back out? Splash. Let's just go with that. You want to be a church planner? Some days you're going to have to wipe stuff. You're going to have to clean off whatever splashes on your legs after you... Like, I'm not trying to say this just to be crass or to gross you guys out. I'm trying to say that we get called to some pretty humiliating things for the sake of the gospel. I, we were here, what was it, a month ago? We live in downtown Johnson City. Johnson City floods. Like, you think, you want, you think I'm going to go join a church. What kind of tasks can I do to serve the church? How can I love people? That might be coming to church one afternoon, taking off your shoes, rolling your pants up in your workout clothes or whatever, getting a squeegee and pushing all of the water in Johnson City out the back door. <laughs> Thank you to those of you who came and helped on those days. Right? These are the kinds of things that sometimes we get called to as a church. And I'm not trying to say this to say, Oh, by the way, if you keep coming to our church, you're going to probably have to clean up all kinds of gross things. That's not the point. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's true. It's going to happen, and you're all going to be called to at some point clean up something in this place that you probably wish you would have never had to see. But that's okay. That's okay, because, because even in doing that, even in roto-rootering out an entire sewage system in a building, even in taking off your shoes after work, and squeegeeing water out a door for an hour and a half. I don't know where all that water came from. It just kept coming. Even in doing those things, we aren't even scratching the surface on the level of humility that Jesus stooped to just to come hang out with us. And the example that he gave of stooping down solo, getting down on his knees, and taking the most humbling and menial task that a person in their culture could do, and washing the feet of his disciples. He is king of kings and lord of lords, on his knees with his shirt off, wiping guys' feet down and drying them off with a towel that's wrapped around his waist. That is our example. That's the call that we've been given. To, to love people in such a powerful way that we will humble ourselves to whatever extent it takes to show them the love of Christ because that's the same love that you have already been shown. 
right? That's the whole point. That's, that's why I read Philippians 2. He's going to get glorified because he's already done all of that stuff. He's already humbled himself. He's already trudged through the dirty manger, right? He has already done all of these things as an example for us on our behalf. That work has already been done. So, so nothing that we could be called to now is any worse than anything he's ever done. He's already done it. He's already taken it on. He's already tried it. And so what, what I'm trying to say is, I want our church, we, the elders, want our church to so be known for loving people so passionately that we'll go to whatever lengths it takes to show them the love of God. Show them what lengths he went to and just in a powerful way impact this city, this place that we live, this place that we've been called by doing exactly what he said, following this example that he gave us, humbling ourselves and loving people in places and in ways that we would never think we should do. Because that just doesn't seem right. Culturally, we shouldn't be there. We shouldn't say this. We shouldn't hang out with that person. We shouldn't, we shouldn't love people in that way. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Like, like sorry, I'm going off on so many little rants today. Like, like, if there was ever an us and them mentality to be had, Jesus had an us and them mentality. There was us, God, and them, everybody else who's gross and disgusting and sinful and broken. If anybody was ever going to say, I don't want to hang out with those people, it should have been Jesus. So there is no, there is no, we shouldn't do that. That's, that's, that's too low a task. That's too, that's too, that's too gross a calling. That's, that's too hard an ask. That's too humbling a thing for me to do. Because there's no, there's no, people like me shouldn't have to do things like that for people like that. There is none of that. We're all us. We're all the them. We're all the broken ones. And we should be just as broken for the people that we're called to go love and take the gospel for as Jesus was. And he was broken even to the point of allowing himself to be physically broken so that we could be saved and brought back to him. Let's pray.